Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw, known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net, at thewebalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com, on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw the Success Alchemist, and on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw. Today is the 19th of June 2021, and the title of today's show is Good News. January 6th bombshell, election and COVID latest. And before I go to the good news of the week, which was put out on Wednesday, that was the 16th, just want to do a little overview for people in terms of, you know, where we are, more of a helicopter view than digging down into the detail. And let's face it, there are people who are getting discouraged by the fact that Biden is still in power, supposedly, and Trump is still not in power. And we know the meaning of red pill and blue pill. Red pill is the awakened ones. Blue pill is the ones who want to continue to um, call us all conspiracy theorists and, um, you know, crazy people. There's also the term black pill, and black pill is to do with people who have are really saying all of this is um, a fiction that Trump could be officially back in power, and we need to stop all the hopium about him being returned and come to terms with the idea that Biden is in. But we really need to keep our eye on the prize, which is one of my favourite terms, to say, look... You know, we're seeing so much happening. And I just wanted to do an overview of what this whole evil agenda is, because it really illustrates what what we're up against here. We've got the satanic Luciferian agenda, which is to do with depopulation, the Great Reset, um, the Green New Deal, which is this scam of climate change, human caused climate change, which we know is um, linked to Agenda 21, Agenda 30, to get everybody into these ghettos of cities instead of out in more rural areas. We've got this um, kind of homogenization of, of cultures with all this promoted in many cases, illegal immigration. Look what happened to Europe under the control of the EU, which is um, a deep state cabal organisation. Look at what's happening at America's borders, human and drug trafficking, not to mention the number of people, illegal aliens that are coming into the country. And Biden's um, reversal of all of the, the work that... Trump did to secure the borders is just um, really an open invitation for all these criminals to come in. Incidentally, Trump is going to be visiting the border at the invitation of Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, who was, as I reported last week, has said he's he's going to finish the Texas border wall and he's invited um other people to support him in other governors to support in terms of arresting these illegal aliens and Florida actually under Governor DeSantis has um, committed to sending law enforcement officers over to Texas to help with that so um, anyway to continue this um, deep state evil agenda we've got all the promotion of transgenders, of um, promoting sex change treatment for kids. We've got the sexualization of children, these awful drag queen book readings to young children in libraries, sometimes by actually convicted sex offenders. We've got the attempt to control the food production. Bill Gates has brought up millions of acres of land and is promoting this fake meat which is just full of GMOs and, and chemicals and so on. We've got Big Pharma pushing um, all these toxic 
supposed medications with a list of um, side effects as long as your arm and of course the pushing of the vaccine which I believe is all part of the depopulation agenda. We've got critical race theory, the persecution of conservatives and, and this whole um, fiction of white supremacy and so on, um, which is actually pushing the division in the country. But those of us who are not... <laughs> On, on the side of this propaganda know that you know this is just being done to support their agenda um, enabling and support of left-wing violence Antifa and BLM the difference in how they were treated through all those so-called peaceful protests which were actually violent riots burning down businesses and causing deaths compared with the, the peaceful Trump supporters on January 6th who have been put into arrested, put into solitary confinement, uh, hunted down. Um, I'm going to be covering that a little later in my January 6th bombshell update. And um, we've got all these woke companies Um the latest is that Victoria's Secret has now um, changed their models from what they called angels to um, transgenders and plus-size models. So again, more pushing of the transgender agenda. And um, interestingly, of course, way back in the news, there was Les Wexner who founded the company, the parent company of Victoria's Secret, um, his connections to Epstein. And it was alleged that uh, Victoria's Secret would all, was also a front for sex trafficking by luring young girls in thinking they were going to get modelling contracts. We've got the biological warfare, Wuhan gain-of-function research, and... Um, you know, my my message is, if you've chosen the path of awakening or being an awakened person, you didn't come for a walk in the park. And think about it. Did any of the prophets and the ascended masters have an easy time of it? No. So why should we think we can do it the easy way? We are spiritual warriors. This is the battle between good and evil. And battles are challenging. So uh, gird your loins, put on the armour of God and get ready for a effing shit show. <laughs> and we are seeing it. We're seeing progress. You know, we know that um, the COVID fiasco, the scamdemic, was a way to take down Donald Trump, who, was, who has been such a challenge or a threat to the deep state. Um, you know, they they not only tried to take down the uh, economy of the com country and the world with COVID, but then, of course, we have the, the vaccine. And, you know, I have covered people's concerns about um, Trump pushing the vaccine, although he's now said in a, in a announcement this week I think it was on one of the interviews that he did that he's saying don't va force vaccines on young people on children because one of the vaccines has been authorized for emergency use for for children 12 and up and he's saying it's not necessary well praying medic actually did a an, an analysis really of why Trump had to use Operation Warp Speed to get the vaccine out so quickly. And it was really um, a choice between keeping the country and the world locked down for years while vaccines went through the normal cycle of tests, which takes several years, and in which case it could then be mandated because it had been approved by the FDA, 
or pushing for this emergency use of the vaccine, which is, as I've said on many occasions, is not a vaccine. And um, basically saying this is optional, it is available, because there are a lot of normies out there who are brainwashed to the extent that they think, oh, well, you know, it's the only way I can get my freedom back to have the vaccine. So they're lining up to have the, the shots. Um, but people who are awake, who have done the research, are free to refuse or decline the vaccine. And a great one was, um, I'm not, a great response to pushing the vaccine was, uh, that I read was, I'm not refusing the vaccine. I'm just waiting for clinical trials to finish so I can make an informed decision based on the data from the trials. And that's very true. You know, there are companies trying to force people to have the vaccine when really it is against the Nuremberg Code to force people into um, an experimental medical procedure. So, and then we have the exposure of the Biden administration. Um, we're seeing now that the, the realities of Biden and his supposed regime. I think, as I've said before, this is part of the movie that we're watching play out, which is very encouraging when you know that Biden, who is in the public eye, is not really Biden, and that many others are not that the original, the real people. And the latest here, of course, was the fiasco of the G7 meeting where Biden made a complete fool of himself. I covered some of that last week. And also his meeting with Putin and, you know, having him having to go in there with his cue cards. So the latest as well is that he's seen a significant drop in ratings in terms of his performance, which is hardly surprising. So um, what, I'm, what I want to reiterate is this is a major operation. I've listed out all the things that the deep state is trying to, to wreak havoc on this country and the world. And this exposure is waking people up and people are standing up and saying no and the states are standing up and saying no. So it's really another message to keep the faith and always look at what not just on the surface but read between the lines. So let's start with the good news of the week. Um, as I said, this was put out June 16th. And I am going to go into more detail on some of the topics covered in this. Um, it starts by saying, here is your good news of the week. We are winning on many fronts. There will be many more wins, so take courage. Number one, President Trump is holding rallies again. The first one will be Saturday, June 26th in Cleveland. He will be throwing his support behind former White House aide Max Miller, who is seeking to primary rhino congressman Anthony Gonzalez. Gonzalez was one of 10 GOP House members who voted for impeachment in January. Two, President Trump will join Texas Governor Greg Abbott on an official visit to the southern border June 30th. He hopes his visit will shine a spotlight on these crimes against our nation and show the incredible people of ICE and Border Patrol that they have our unshakable support. And interestingly, the, the news is just highlighting the fact that he's going there and Kamala Harris still hasn't, even though she was appointed the border czar by Biden uh, several months ago. Three, the truth continues to come out about January 6th. Senator Ron Johnson, Republican Wisconsin and his staff have reviewed surveillance footage and found 38% of the approximately 800 people who entered the Capitol walked peacefully through an open doorway in front of five officers. Senator Johnson is pushing to interview those officers. And I've got a, an article about that that I'll cover later. Number four, Representative Paul Gozar, 
Republican Arizona grilled FBI Director Ray about January 6th and entered the Revolver News article into the record with unanimous consent. This article lays out the case that federal officials infiltrated and incited January 6th protests, and I'll be covering that Revolver article in a few minutes. Five, Congressman Matt Gates, Republican Florida, called on FBI Director Ray to fully disclose the role and involvement of FBI operatives on January 6th. Six, brave people continue to expose mainstream media corruption. During a live segment, Fox reporter Ivory Hecker accused Fox News of censoring her. She had secretly recorded her bosses at Fox, directing her to squelch her stories including one about the effectiveness of HCQ, hydroxychloroquine, in treating COVID-19. In an interview with Project Veritas, she accused Fox of caring more about their corporate sponsors than about telling the truth. And, of course, there is more continuing censorship by the social media giants of anybody who posts some anything which questions the official narrative about COVID-19 and the vaccine and so on. Number seven, a Fulton County, Georgia election official admitted admitted that ballot drop box transfer forms are missing for almost 19,000 absentee ballots. There is no record of how these ballots got from point A to point B. Fulton is now the fourth county in Georgia under investigation for failing to produce chain of custody documentation. Eight, the Biden administration announced an investigation into NIH grants, including the funding Dr. Fauci approved for the Wuhan lab. Nine, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey issued an executive order that protects the rights of public college and university students. Under the executive order... Students cannot be mandated to get the jab, show a vaccine passport, wear a mask or be tested for COVID-19 in order to attend classes. Good for him. 10. A Florida appeals court has ruled that bodily autonomy is a fundamental right and that all mask mandates, past and present, are unconstitutional. According to this ruling, any mask mandate targeting the unvaccinated would also violate the Constitution. This ruling is expected to reverberate throughout the country, presumably apart from the the Democrat-controlled states. 11. Mike Pompeo launched a political action committee called Champion American Values PAC to help conservatives win in 2022. His goal is to elect the most conservative electable candidate at all levels, whether it's school board, city council, or a United States Senate seat. Twelve, less than a third of voters believe Biden's claim that global warming is America's greatest threat, and few are willing to pay more taxes in order to fight it. Thirteen, a federal judge has blocked Biden's race-based loan forgiveness program that excluded white farmers. The judge cited a previous court ruling that stated government policies that classify people by race are presumptively invalid. So who are the racists here? That's the rhetorical question. 14. Comedian Jon Stewart went on Colbert's late show Monday night and used his entire time to insist that COVID-19 originated in the Wuhan lab and to mock claims that it originated naturally. And the hat tip is to at Danian here from Good News of the Week. D-A-N-E-A-N-H-E-R-E. And I presume he's on Telegram. This The good news is shared across many of the uh, non channels on Telegram. So it's worth following them. You get some really good information. OK, so let's start with the Revolver article. And this was published June 14th, 2021, of course, 2021. Unindicted co-conspirators in January 6th cases raised disturbing questions of federal foreknowledge. And before I go into this, you know, I've said before that it was very suspicious the way that um, all the reports of potential threats leading up to January 6th, 
resulted in no um, actions by particularly Pelosi in terms of putting more troops in place to secure the capital. And it's pointing more and more to this being a complete setup to discredit Trump and open the door to that second impeachment. Now the evidence is coming out that seemed to corroborate that um, that view. Of all the questions asked, words spoken and ink spilled on the so-called capital siege of January 6, 2021, None hold the key to the entire event quite like what Senator Amy Klobuchar asked of Christopher Wray. The Democrat from Minnesota asked the Trump-appointed FBI director, did the federal government infiltrate any of the so-called militia organisations claimed to be responsible for planning and executing the Capitol siege? And it's got a video of that, um, that questioning. Christopher Ray is able to uncomfortably weasel his way out of answering the question directly, partially because Klobuchar does him the courtesy of not asking him the question directly. Klobuchar instead asks the FBI directed, director if he wishes he had infiltrated the militia organisations allegedly involved in 1-6 assuming from the outset that there was in fact no infiltration, providing, thereby providing the FBI director an easy way to avoid addressing the question one way or another. Revolver News is willing to address the matter directly in the following three questions. In the year leading up to 1-6 and during 1-6 itself, to what extent were the three primary militia groups, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys and the Three Percenters, that the FBI, DOJ, Pentagon and Network News have labelled most responsible for planning and executing a capital attack on 1-6, infiltrated by agencies of the federal government or informants of said agencies. Exactly how many federal undercover agents or confidential informants were present at the capital or in the capital during the infamous siege and what roles did they play? merely passive informants or active instigators. Finally, of all of the unindicted co-conspirators referenced in the charging documents of those indicted for crimes on 1-6, how many worked as a confidential informant or as an undercover operative for the federal government, FBI, Army, counterintelligence, etc.? And then it's got um, a video included, which is Steve Bannon interviewing uh, Darren Beatty, who was the author of this article. Okay, from now on, all discussion of 1-6 must give way to a laser-like focus on the questions above, with an unwavering persistence at obtaining the answers. If the narrative about 1-6 does not conform to the questions above, the American people will never learn the most important truth about what 1-6 is and what kind of country they're really living in. If it turns out the federal government did in fact have undercover agents or confidential informants embedded within the so-called militia groups indicted for conspiring to obstruct the Senate certification on 1-6, the implications would be nothing short of seismic especially if such agents or informants enjoyed extremely senior-level positions within such groups. One of the key consensus points among the FBI, DOJ and the regi regime media is the idea that while 1-6 is primarily the fault of Trump-supporting QAnon-infused domestic terrorists, it is secondarily the fault of so-called intelligence failures. Klobuchar's own question at the March 2nd, 2021 FBI hearing reinforces this intelligence failure narrative, but she's not alone. A five-month bipartisan Senate investigation recently arrived at the very same intelligence failure narrative to explain the breach of the Capitol and associated events on 1-6. A bipartisan Senate investigation of the deadly January 6th insurrection found security and intelligence failures at every level of government that led to the breach of the Capitol by a pro-Trump mob as lawmakers 
in a joint session were certifying the 2020 election. The 95-page report, a product of a roughly five-month joint probe by the Senate Homeland Security and Rules Committees, found significant breakdowns ranging from federal intelligence agencies failing to warn of a potential for violence to a lack of planning and preparation by U.S. Capitol Police and law enforcement leadership. There was no overall operational or staffing plan for that fateful day, a total failure of leadership, according to the committees. And that was from ABC News. If it turns out that the federal government, FBI, Army Counterintelligence or a similar agency had undercover agents or confidential informants embedded in any of the groups involved in 1-6, the federal intelligence agencies failing to warn of a potential for violence looks less like an innocent mistake and more like something sinister. Indeed, if the federal government knew of a potential for violence in or around the Capitol on 1-6 and failed to call for heightened security, the agencies responsible may in fact be legally liable for the damages incurred during that day. It is unsettling to entertain the possibility that the federal government knew of a potential for violence on 1-6 and did nothing to stop it. It presents the question, why would agencies or certain elements within sit back and let something like this happen on purpose? A still more disturbing possibility arises from a careful study of the unindicted co-conspirators listed throughout the various charging documents of individuals facing the most serious charges related to 1-6. We at Revolver News have noticed a pattern from our now months-long investigation into 1-6 and in particular from our meticulous study of the charging documents related to those indicted. In many cases, the unindicted co-conspirators appear to be much more aggressive and egregious participants in the very so-called conspiracy serving as the basis for charging those indicted. The question immediately arises as to why this is the case and forces us to consider whether certain individuals are being protected from indictment because they were involved in 1-6 as undercover operatives or confidential informants for a federal agency. Here it's useful to draw a distinction between two discrete categories of participants in the so-called capital siege. The first category is the group of mostly harmless tourists who walk through already open doors and already removed barricades and at most were guilty of minor trespassing charges and light property offences. The second group consists of those who were violent with police officers, broke down barricades, smashed windows, belonged to a militia group engaged in military-style planning prior to the event discussed transporting heavy weaponry and so forth. Up until now, the overwhelming, perhaps exclusive, share of counter-establishment reporting on 1-6 has focused on absolving the first group, and this is a valuable thing. The notion that these harmless magamoms wandering around the capital were domestic terrorists engaged in an insurrection is absurd, That many of these people are being held in prison without bail under harsh conditions amounts to an unacceptable and outrageous abuse of basic human rights. However, the possibility that the federal government had undercover operatives or informants involved in the events of 1-6 from its planning to its execution compels us to turn our attention to the second category of participants. We are especially interested in the unindicted co-conspirators who belong to any of the big three militia groups, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys and the Three Percenters. Indeed, it is these militia groups whose behaviour statements and planning leading up to and during 1-6 most closely align with the violent insurrectionist caricature we hear about in the media and which the government claims to be going after in its aggressive prosecutions. If it turns out that an extraordinary percentage of the members of these groups involved in planning and executing the capital siege were federal informants or undercover operatives, the implications will be nothing short of staggering. 
This would be far worse than the already bad situation of the government knowing about the possibility of violence and doing nothing. Instead, this would imply that elements of the federal government were active instigators in the most egregious and spectacular aspects of 1-6, amounting to a monumental entrapment scheme used as a pretext to imprison otherwise harmless protesters at the Capitol, and in a much larger sense, used to frame the entire MAGA movement as potential domestic terrorists. This is what is at stake in getting to the bottom of 1-6. And so we proceed, unafraid, to investigate the question on which everything else pertaining to 1-6 hinges. Did the government have informants or undercover agents in any or all of the big three militia groups leading up to or on 1-6? How many of the key unindicted co-conspirators in DOJ prosecutions are unindicted because they are undercover operatives or confidential informants. In short, what did the federal government know in advance about 1-6? When did they know it? And how far did any undercover operations go? And the article continues talking about um, the forgotten case of the Whitmer kidnapping plot. This was in Michigan. And I don't want to read this because I want to continue on the topic of 1-6 but it was an example of how these supposed plotters who um, were planning to kidnap Governor Whitmer actually turned out to have been instigated or incited to do this by FBI um, informants or actual members of the FBI. So um, let me move on now to responses to this article. So after the publication of that, um, here's a, an article by UncoverDC.com, and this was dated the 16th, and it says, Gates and Jordan demand answers from FBI Director Ray. After grilling FBI Director Chris Ray five days ago on whether the FBI engaged in a cover-up related to the origins of the coronavirus, on June 15, 2021, Congressman Matt Gates sent a letter to Ray seeking answers and clarification on critical questions related to the events at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. Referencing a June 8 joint report from the Senate Homeland Security Committee and the Senate Rules Committee, Gates's letter states the report highlights multiple problems, including federal intelligence agencies failing to warn of a potential for violence, to a lack of planning and preparation by U.S. Capitol Police and law enforcement leadership. And again, it's got a video of Amy Klobuchar questioning Director Ray. The 95-page report addresses the security planning and response failures of the entities directly responsible for capital security, specifically the United States Capitol Police, USCP and the Capitol Police Board, which is comprised of the House and Senate Sergeants-at-Arms and the architect of the Capitol as voting members and the USCP chief as a non-voting member. The report also focuses on critical breakdowns involving numerous federal agencies, particularly the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Department of Homeland Security and Department of Defense. The executive summary of the report concludes that despite being aware of threats, neither the DHS nor the FBI issued formal intelligence bulletins about the potential for violence at the Capitol on January 6th which hindered law enforcement's preparations for the joint session of Congress. It also determined that neither agency considered online posts calling for violence at the Capitol as credible. And another uh, video inserted, Representative Paul Gosar grills FBI Director Ray over January 6 riots and Ashley Babbitt killing. Congressman Gates, who expects an answer from Director Ray's office by August 1st, 2021, seeks answers to three specific questions. I think he's been a bit generous in terms of the timescale for this. But anyway, <clears throat> number one, in the year leading up to the events of 1-6 and during 1-6 itself, 
To what extent were the three primary militia groups, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys and the Three Percenters, infiltrated by agencies of the federal government, including the FBI, or informants of said agencies? Exactly how many federal undercover agents or confidential informants were present at the Capitol or in the Capitol during the siege, and what roles did they play? Merely passive informants or active instigators? Three, of all the unindicted co-conspirators referenced in the charging documents of those indicted for crimes on 1-6, how many worked as a confidential informant or as an undercover operative for the federal government, FBI, Army, counterintelligence, etc.? Prior to Gates' letter to Director Ray on June 10th, during a House Judiciary Oversight Committee meeting concerning events of January 6th, Representative Jim Jordan asked Ray why, during a raid of a home in Homer, Alaska, the FBI took a pocket copy of the U.S. Constitution. In a remarkable case of mistaken identity gone wrong, on April 28, 2021, 12 agents from the FBI, Capitol Police and other bureaus broke down the door to the home of Marilyn and Paul Hooper and ordered them to put their hands up. The agents handcuffed the couple and their guests while they interrogated them and searched their home. When he came out of his bedroom, Paul Hooper counted seven guns trained on him. The agents were looking for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's laptop computer, as well as any evidence such as clothing that would prove Marilyn Hooper was actually inside the US Capitol on January 6th. Marilyn said the agents told her she had been positively ID'd as being inside the Capitol building that day. They showed her a photo of someone that they claimed to be her. Marilyn told them it was not her, and the agent, who implied she was lying and obstructing justice, replied, So you want to go there? Towards the end of the search, agents showed Marilyn a photo where the face was visible and she could prove it wasn't her. The couple, who has not heard from the FBI directly since the raid, has filed a rebuttal and claim to the US District Court in Anchorage where the warrant was originated. Besides their experience with the FBI, they note on their website that it is equally disturbing to learn from others about the agency's unlawful invasions of Alaskans and other Americans who have been unjustly accosted, and most, if not all, have not known what to do about it. For this reason, they believe they mustn't remain silent and hope others will follow and join them in holding our civil servants accountable. They declare, as we step out, it's our hope that many more will follow. Each American needs to begin holding our civil servants accountable to their oaths to uphold and protect our rights. We, the people, are the only lawful oversight who can properly do so. But we have been off the job for too long, and as exemplified here... Things have reached dire straits. We have to wake up and take appropriate lawful action as allowed by our Constitution. If not us, who? If not now, when? We may not have much time left to act before our rights are confiscated from all of us permanently. And then finally on this subject, I've got an article from TrendingPolitics.com and this is to do with Tucker Carlson and his... um, expose of this implication that the FBI were involved in inciting the supposed insurrection, um, which is great because it's putting out it out more into the mainstream media rather than just the alternative media. This is actually his response to media freakout about questioning the FBI's role in January 6th and its classic Tucker. Fox News host Tucker Carlson had a blazing response to the extreme hyperventilation over his show, questioning the FBI's role in the lead-up to the January 6th events at the nation's capital. Tucker, of course, was referring to the bombshell report published at Revolver News that questions whether certain members of far-right extremist groups, who have thus far gone unindicted, were in fact FBI informants or undercover agents. On Tuesday, Tucker had on the editor of Revolver News, Darren Beatty, who fleshed out the story. The news media predictably lost its mind over daring to question the official narrative of the January 6th insurrection. On Thursday night, Tucker addressed the hyperbolic blowback in classic Tucker fashion. 
and then it's got the video of this. Um, well, there's been an enormous amount of hyperventilating in Washington over a segment we did two nights ago in which we pointed out that there were pretty clearly a number of people in the crowd at the Capitol on January 6th who had been in previous contact with the FBI about what was going to happen that day, Tucker said in his monologue. Some of them may have encouraged others at the scene to commit crimes, he went on. Now, if that happened, and we believe it did happen, it would not be out of character for the FBI. They have done things very much like that before. That is beyond dispute. But in this case, they are disputing it, Tucker continued. Not the FBI directly. They haven't said a word. But the obedient minions of the national security state who run the social media accounts for the New York Times and occupy the anchor desks at CNN, they became hysterical when we mentioned it. You can't say that, they scream. That's not allowed, Tucker mocked. The geniuses at Twitter weighed in to inform us that the people we had described as agents of the FBI were, in fact, just FBI informants, he went on. So shut up. Hilarious. But we won't shut up, and we shouldn't. It could not be more obvious at this point that the government is, in fact, hiding something, probably quite a few things, he said. So best to abandon theatrics and find out what they are hiding. That's our job. Carlson asked the following three questions. How many of the so-called insurrectionists on January 6th had a relationship with the FBI? How many of these FBI moles encouraged others that day to break the law at the Capitol? 2. If the Justice Department knew there were going to be protesters massing at the Capitol that day, and it's clear they did know, then why didn't they do anything to stop the riot? Why did police at the Capitol allow protesters to walk in, as video shows that they did? Three, why can't we see the tape for ourselves? The government is hiding more than 14,000 hours of video surveillance tape that shows exactly what did happen at the Capitol that day. Why are they hiding that? And why aren't news organisations demanding to see it? If the answer to the first question is none, Tucker said, they would admit they were wrong and apologise. But if the answer is not none, and we're pretty sure it isn't none, then people who claim otherwise are liars and hacks and should leave the public state immediately because they have betrayed their readers and viewers, he added. Tucker said, such media outlets are working to protect the regime at the expense of the public. So that's taken up quite a bit of time to cover that story. So I'm only going to have a short time to spend on the election and COVID update. So let me quickly cover a couple of things. The, in the spotlight, of course, we've still got Arizona and we also have a lot of news coming out about Georgia now. So let me just first cover the Arizona audit. So this is a report from uh, Epoch Times, Maricopa County audit report expected in August. The final report for the 2020 election audit taking place in Arizona's largest county is not expected to be out until August, an official involved with the work says. Led by Cyber Ninjas, which was hired by the Arizona Senate, auditors are working on evaluating ballots. After finishing their ballot recount, save less than 100 Braille ballots. The ballot evaluation is supposed to wrap up by the end of June. The Senate is slated to vacate the Veterans Memorial Coliseum, where the audit is taking place, by July 1st, but there will be a few weeks' worth of additional work after that, Ken Bennett, a former Arizona Republican Secretary of State, told the Epoch Times. We've got the remainder of June to do what we're doing here at the Coliseum. Then there's a few weeks, probably, of working on checking the envelope signatures and looking at voter registration anomalies, and this work that we want to do on the retabulation. So maybe that takes up some or most of July, and then the auditors are going to need a few to several weeks to put the report together, said Bennett, the Arizona Senate's liaison for the audit. Cyber Ninjas, which has not returned requests for comments, said in documents sent to the Senate that it's estimated the audit would take approximately 35 days followed by a five-day period to produce the final report. Auditors were set to start their 34th day of work on Friday. The audit started on April 23rd, but the teams had to leave the Coliseum for approximately nine days in May as high school graduations took place. Auditors resumed work on May 24th. 
No details about the final report are included in the documents from Cyber Ninjas. Bennett said the report would be massive. It's going to be very in-depth, he added. There is more to that article, but I don't have time to cover the rest of it as I want to talk about Georgia. This is an article from Just the News and it was published on June 17th. Um, the title is Georgia Audit Documents Expose Significant Election Failures in State's Largest County. Records suggest more than 100 batches of absentee ballots in Fulton County could be missing. Some experts see election tabulation malpractice as state officials seek to remove county's top election supervisors. Documents that Georgia's largest county submitted to state officials as part of a post-election audit highlight significant irregularities in the Atlanta area during last November's voting, ranging from identical vote tallies repeated multiple times to large batches of absentee ballots that appear to be missing from the official ballot scanning records. The problems in predominantly Democratic Fulton County potentially impact thousands of ballots in a presidential race that Joe Biden was certified as winning statewide by fewer than 12,000 votes. The memos reviewed by Just the News include the handwritten tally sheets for all absentee ballots counted by the county, as well as a private report from a contractor hired by Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to monitor the Atlanta area election process. The report, which chronicles seven days of problems, recorded troubling behaviour like the mysterious removal of a suitcase of sensitive election data known as polls pads used to authentic authenticate voters. Learn that Rick reprogramming poll pads earlier was setting up a new precinct for SC11 because someone took the wrong suitcase but only took one. The contractor's Seven Hill strategy wrote late on November 2nd, the night before election day. Seems to be a mystery who this person was, should have chain of custody paperwork. That means that a stranger just walked out with sensitive materials. The contractor also observed that sensitive election materials were left on a dock at a warehouse without supervision. Several cases, including SC11, were just left out on the loading dock outside the warehouse, he wrote. Thankfully, the seals were intact. And then there's a link to the PDF of all these notes. The revelations came as a state judge has taken the extraordinary step of ordering absentee ballots in the county unsealed so that a private audit led by lawyer Bob Cheeley can examine the actual papers and resolve discrepancies. Cheely told Just the News on Wednesday, the evidence he has seen so far points to election tabulation malpractice. Private experts and state election officials differ on whether the evidence shows a pattern of potential fraud or simply gross incompetence in the county that encompasses Atlanta. But they are mostly united for the first time that the top election supervisors in Fulton County should be removed. Some officials are even discussing a dramatic intervention, like putting the county's election system in conservatorship so it can be run by state, not local officials. I have continued to call on the elections director to be removed from his position and the leadership of Fulton County has continued to fail to act, Raffensperger told Just the News on Wednesday. The secretary said he stands by his private monitor's assessment that fraud did not occur at a scale in Fulton County to impact the election's outcome, but he added the county's election management failures nonetheless warrant dramatic repair. And the article goes on to detail all the issues that were found in an audit from last November. Um, again, I don't have time to read that because I want to just cover something on COVID news. But also just to mention that Pennsylvania is now seeking to have a, a full forensic audit as well. And I'm sure there'll be many other states that follow suit. As I said last week, 13 states visited the Maricopa County audit to see how they were uh, approaching it. And it's been held up as an absolutely um, first class 
first class showcase audit of how audit should be carried out. So let me move on to the interesting world of COVID and the VAX. First of all, let's start with an article by Breitbart, and this is to do with the origin of the COVID-19 virus. And the title is Nolte, Scientists Admit Covering Up Lab Leak Theory to Avoid Being Associated with Trump. By way of an unforgivable but very revealing act of silence, several scientists now admit to having misled the country for more than a year by covering up their belief that the coronavirus lab leak theory is valid enough to warrant investigation. And incidentally, this is from the 18th of June today. In other words, here's one more reason. I'm sorry, the 18th was yesterday. (laughs) In other words, here's one more reason to never again trust the scientific community. What we have here is an astonishing admission and one more reason not to believe the so-called scientific consensus about anything, most especially life-altering issues such as global warming or climate change or whatever these charlatans call it today. Think about it. If a herd of scientists is willing to lie through an act of omission about the lab leak, imagine the other lies they're telling us or are allowing to be told when it comes to everything else. Far-left NBC News reports Alina Chan was one of 18 scientists who published a letter in the journal Science last month calling for a more in-depth investigation into the virus's origin that takes into account theories about both natural occurrence and laboratory spillovers. The letter helped kick-start a new round of calls to investigate the lab leak hypothesis, including demands from President Joe Biden and several leading scientists. Chan said there had been trepidation among some scientists about publicly discussing the lab leak hypothesis for fear that their words could be misconstrued or used to support racist rhetoric about how the coronavirus emerged. Trump fueled accusations that the Wuhan Institute of Virology, a research lab in the city where the first COVID-19 Chinese Chinese coronavirus cases were reported, was connected to the outbreak, and on numerous occasions he called the pathogen the Wuhan virus or Kung flu. At the time, it was scarier to be associated with Trump and to become a tool for racists, so people didn't want to publicly call for an investigation into lab origins, she said. Note, although she's named in the NBC report, Alina Chan's one of the very few who did not remain quiet. She maintained the validity of the lab leak theory from the beginning. If you read between the lines, what happened here is obvious. A herd of quislings with scientific degrees allowed themselves to be so intimidated by the toxicity fabricated around Trump by the political media and academic establishment that they covered up something they believe to be true, that the lab leak theory is credible enough to warrant investigation. And the article goes on to talk about other examples of where we're supposed to believe the scientists when actually they are have very little credibility at all, at least those who are under the control of the mainstream. And there's more information coming out about the uh, effects of the vaccine or so-called vaccine. This is We Love Trump and its inventor of mRNA vaccine sounds the alarm of lipid nanoparticles from experimental COVID-19 vaccines accumulating in vital organs. A couple of weeks ago, Dr. Byron Bridal relayed research of the horrific findings that the spike protein from the experimental jabs was accumulating in organs. Instead of remaining at the injection site in the shoulder, the spike protein frequently becomes biologically active and circulates in the bloodstream. As a result, the spike protein settles in large amounts inside critical organs and tissues. Dr. Byron Bridal was censored for his revelations, but he's not alone in his assertions. Dr. Robert W. Malone is the inventor of mRNA vaccine technology, and he recently joined Brett Brownstein, PhD, for an episode of the Dark Horse podcast. Malone expressed his concerns about the findings made in the study referenced by Bridal. 
He reiterated that the lipid nanoparticles responsible for producing the spike protein were accumulating in organs at alarming rates. In particular, the concentrations in the ovaries were extremely high. And it's got the clip from that particular podcast. Children's Health Defence reported they also discussed the lack of proper animal studies for the new mRNA vaccines and the theory espoused by virologist Geert van den Bosch, PhD, that mass vaccination with the mRNA vaccines could produce ever more transmissible and potentially deadly variants. As the Defender reported June 3rd, Bridal received a copy of a Japanese biodistribution study which had been kept from the public as a result of a freedom of information request made to the Japanese government for Pfizer data. Prior to the study's disclosure, the public was led to believe by regulators and vaccine developers that the spike protein produced by mRNA COVID vaccine stayed in the shoulder where it was injected and was not biologically active, even though regulators around the world had a copy of the study which showed otherwise. The biodistribution study obtained by Bridal showed lipid nanoparticles from the vaccine did not stay in the deltoid muscle where they were injected, as the vaccine's developers claimed would happen, but circulated throughout the body and accumulated in large concentrations in organs and tissues, including the spleen, bone marrow, liver, adrenal glands, and, in quite high concentrations, in the ovaries. And I did cover this, I think it was last week, from the previous report. So we're getting more and more uh, evidence that these, the so-called vaccine is very dangerous, uh, despite all the claims by you know, the WHO and the CDC and the FDA and the mainstream media that these vaccines are, are completely safe and you have nothing to worry about. So I think we're going to have some class action lawsuits coming basically against, you know, relating to crimes against humanity for concealing this information. And there is also um, an article by Gateway Pundit, and this talks about um, COVID vaccine spike protein shedding damages placenta. We are being experimented on. And this was from June 17th. Powerful interests are invested in depleting our immune systems and defecting human fertility with coercion and mandates of experimental vaccines that are still only in investigative stages. Even those who refuse vaccination are imperiled, warns the medical director of a team of physicians under fire for exposing propaganda surrounding the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and it goes on to talk about shedding um, Concerns started when we saw that individuals who were not vaccinated, who were around vaccinated individuals, started having abnormal bleeding. Their periods would be disrupted or they had a passage of large clots or heavy bleeding or preterm deliveries, miscarriages even. Dr. Shelley Cole, a board-certified ob obgin obstetrics and gynaecology a medical director for America's Frontline Doctors explained in an exclusive interview with the Gateway Pundit, thousands of women have reported disrupted men menstrual cycles, hemorrhaging, miscarriages and stillbirth after receiving injections of the vaccines. The alarming side effects are attributed to receptors in the contagious spike proteins that attach to the placenta and uterus and cross the blood-brain barrier within 15 minutes of the vaccine injection, Cole explains. So the article goes on to explain more about that. And there was also um, an article by We Love Trump talking about four British Airways pilots that have um, died fairly quickly after receiving the vaccine. Did four British Airways pilots die in a week from adverse reactions to the experimental COVID-19 jabs. That was from yesterday. And they're denying, of course, that the vaccine has anything to do with it. But um, it's very suspicious that these fairly young pilots all 
died and there have been there has been talk of um vaccinated people not being allowed to fly because of the increased risk of blood clots so hopefully more and more information will come out to uh, convince even more the vaccine hesitant as they call them from getting the the shot certainly i shall not be getting the shots as i've said before and i just want to also um kind of uh, quell the alarm about this shedding issue that just keep the faith that you're on a timeline that this is not going to affect you and that you have chosen your path of not having the vaccine and that um, you are going to remain fit, healthy and your DNA uncontaminated. So that's all I have time for today. <clears throat> I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, lots more I could have reported on, but, um, you know, I think these two key points of COVID and, and the audits are important, but also this bombshell of FBI involvement in the so-called insurrection, which I'm not surprised about at all. I think we always suspected that that was the case and also the involvement of Antifa and BLM. So let me um, wind up today's show. I hope you join me for, a for another Cosmic Creating show next week. Thank you to Nancy for producing. And a reminder that you can find me at the successalchemist.net, thewebalchemist.net and Empowered Manifestation. Take care, be safe and bye for now. <laughs>